Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, Norlander here. Hope you are enjoying a wonderful start to your week. And hope you like that new podcast logo we got, new cover art. We snuck it in over the weekend. So if you are a subscriber, which most of you listening, of course, are, you'll have noticed that, and we hope you dig that. By the way, have you checked the calendar? We're a month away from Selection Sunday. And so with that in mind, we got a good little segment coming later in the episode. But we are also, of course, less than four weeks away from the Selection Show. Oh, yeah. You know what that means. Yeah, it means the song, but don't worry. That's coming. It's not, I'm not dropping the song on you in February. That's not going to happen. But what I am going to do here is I'm going to get those juices flowing. How about a little Greg Gumble for you? Because this guy's going to be back in your life on a daily basis before you know it. Take it away, Greg. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our New York studios in the NCAA Basketball Championship Selection Show. I'm Greg Gumbel. Once again, this year's tournament features a field of 68 teams, the first four in Dayton, and the full tournament coverage on four networks, CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, February 16, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I wanted to start with the Maryland Terrapins. You know, we got a tweet Saturday night from Jessica Ennis. She's a Maryland graduate, and she asked, can we get some Terps love on Sunday's podcast? That was Jessica's question, and the answer is yes, because when you're down seven points at Michigan State with 3.09 remaining, and you storm back thanks to four three-pointers on four straight possessions and close on a 14-0 run to win Inside the Breslin Center, you undeniably deserve a spot on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. And that's exactly what Maryland did Saturday night. Down 60-53 with 3.09 left. The game wasn't over, but it felt over. Breslin Center crowd going crazy. Michigan State players slapping the floor. And then Jalen Smith makes a three-pointer. Next possession, Anthony Cowan. Three-pointer, next possession, Anthony Cowan. Three-pointer, next possession, Anthony Cowan. Three-pointer. Then Cowan adds two more free throws. So Maryland scored 14 points on his final five possessions as 2.8 points per possession and closed on a 14-0 run to extend its winning streak to eight games and remain alone atop the Big Ten standings. Norlander, mm-hmm. show Maryland some love, please. Lots of love to give here. Maryland continued what we left off on Friday's podcast talking about Terps, Blue Devils, Flyers of Dayton, Jayhawks of Kansas, Zags of Gonzaga, Bears of Baylor, and even those Aztecs of San Diego State, I was, Samsonite, I was way off. They rolled past Boise State. You covered on that one, by the way. We both went 3-2 and two over the weekend with our picks, but those seven teams continued to win again and continued to march along and show that they can indeed be elite. And I know Maryland won close, GP, but the style in which they got this game, as I tweeted on Saturday night, even um, <laughs> the resp- I even got the responses from Maryland fans that I knew I was going to get. It basically just was, even if you're the, among the most cynical kind of Maryland fan, and you've seen this team under Mark Turgeon underperform, you know, across multiple seasons and underperform, uh, you know, seed expectations in years where you did make the NCAA tournament. Given where this group is now, 21-4, and 11-3, uh, top the Big Ten, it's a top eight team in the net, uh, you know, a top eight team in multiple uh, predictive metrics here. Jalen Smith playing his way toward first-team All-American status. Anthony Cowan isn't that so far behind him. He's those That one-two punch has been terrific, and Cowan was a ghost largely on Saturday night, and then he steps up. He's just not – he's a player who's not afraid. And sure, if you tell me that Maryland winds up getting a two-seed, falls to a three in the Sweet 16 in a three-point game, and it's because Cowan – in the final few possessions, winds up doing something that costs them. I'm not going to be surprised by that. Maryland fans aren't going to be surprised by that. But I think it's just as likely that Cowan can get you a win or two in the big dance uh, the way that he did against Michigan State and helping them kind of pull away. I mean, those shots were incredible. Uh, just the kind of win where, uh, to me, it just it puts, <laughs> it puts Maryland's season on a fast track toward uh, a really strong seed 
Still still in contention for a one, obviously behind in the pecking order, but all the losses are good. And right now, 7-4 and four in quad one, obviously undefeated the rest of the way there. So I buy into the Terps. I think that this team, and I have since the beginning of the season, um, but where we stand right now, I just I do consider this to be, within the context of this season, a Maryland team that is very, very good, maybe even bordering on great. And what it was able to do, on the road, after the game got close, after holding a lead, Michigan State comes back, looks strong, looks like they're going to have the game, and then it completely flips. And that's not something you see often. It's not you know exceedingly rare GP, but the style that Maryland got it. Uh, big time ups to Turgeon, Cowan, Jalen Smith, the whole group. That was an impressive win amongst the most, if not the most impressive, because of the way they got it of any I saw on Saturday. Well, what is very rare is to be down seven with three to play and win by seven. Like yes. You can come back from seven down, but be down seven, win by seven, 14-0 run to close the game on the road against a, you know, the, the preseason number one team. Like that's that's that was wild. My favorite thing to do, because Maryland, Maryland fans are the funniest to me. We talked about this before. Most fan bases think they're always think their team's better than it is. Like if you talk to Kentucky fans right now, they think that wherever you have them ranked, they think they should be higher. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to Kansas fans right now, wherever you have them ranked, they they think they should be higher. Maryland fans always think their team's not as good as you think they are. (laughs) They always want to tell you, I don't think we're that good. And so my favorite thing on Saturday night, I'm sitting here. I know I'm going to write about it. And so they're down. You know, they were up 15 in the first half and blew the lead. And they're down seven with, you know, three minutes to go. And the crowd's going crazy. And Michigan State players are slapping the floor. And, it, again, it felt over. So I immediately just do, like, a, a Twitter search for Mark Turgeon. And it's it's not even, like, it's not it's not even Duke fans making fun of the Maryland coach. It's Maryland fans just trashing the, their team and their coach. And, and then, of course, you do the same search 20 minutes later, and it's much, much uh, different. The team's good. 21 and 4 overall, 11 and 3 in the Big 10. They're projected by Kimpom to finish 15 and 5 in the league and win the Big 10 outright trivia time. When's the last time Norland or Maryland won an outright league title? That's a great trivia question, GP. Um so the uh, hasn't happened since they got to the Big 10 that I know for sure, 100%. That's um a fact, Jack. That is a fact, Jack. Now did they do it after they won the national title is the question. Um, yeah, I'll say it happened. I'm going to say – I'm just – I'm going to say – okay, my first guess is 07. That is an incorrect answer. Okay, my second – give me three. My second guess will be 2002. That's the correct answer. It is. It wow. is since they won the title. Okay, yep. They shared a ACC title with Duke in 2010. That was Gravis Vasquez's yes, final that's... season. But they have not won an outright league title since 2002. They finished 32 and four overall, 15 and one in the ACC. Got a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Beat Indiana in the national title game. Shouts to Mike Davis. Shouts to Lonnie Baxter. Do, do you know? Do you do you know the Mike Davis, Bob Huggins, Andy Kennedy story? I do. <laughs> I don't. But that's a hell of a way to get rolling here. I'll give you a quick version. Okay. So uh, I, I, Andy Kennedy tells this story, and I hope he doesn't mind me telling it. It's it's a pretty innocent story. It's just funny. So this is back when Hugs and AK were both at Cincinnati, and they're recruiting a prep school somewhere. And I guess you'd have to line it up, but perhaps Mike was still at Indiana at the time. But they're recruiting a prep school, and you know somewhere in you know, your part of the country. And, you know, after after practice, they're staying there that night. So they're like, hey, let's go out. We're going to bite to eat, you know, at a, whatever the little local Applebee's or O'Charlie's or something like that is. So they go to this restaurant and they get them a round of drinks and uh, they notice, hey, there's Mike Davis. He was just in the gym with us. And there's Mike Davis sitting over there by himself, you know, doing the same thing they're doing, like getting a bite to eat after, you know, uh, evaluating whatever prospect. So they're like, well, you know, we should be kind. We should invite Mike over and, you know, see if he wants to sit down with us. So they, like, wave him over, Mike, over here. It's Hugs and AK. And so Mike Davis comes over and sits down. Waitress comes over, and she says, uh, she says, uh, oh, hey, sir, do you, uh, do you need a drink? He said, yeah, I'll take a milkshake. I've heard this, yes. <laughs> and, they say, and, and so she's like, yeah, come, whatever, what kind do you want? He's like, I'll take a chocolate milkshake or whatever. And she's like, okay, sure, chocolate milkshake coming up. So uh, she brings the chocolate milkshake, and, and Hugs is drinking his vodka drink, and AK's drinking his vodka drink, and Mike Davis is drinking his milkshake, right? And so the waitress, after Hugs and AK get you know low on the drink or done with their drink, she comes back over, and she looks at him. She's like, you guys, you guys want another round? And they're like, yeah. And Mike Davis is like, yeah. yeah. And she's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, what? He's like, yeah, I'll take another <laughs> yeah, two. Yes, he I'll will. Take another, 
I'll take another one as well. She's like, okay. So uh, here's two vodka drinks and another chocolate milkshake. So then they drink their vodka drinks, and she comes back around. She's like, you guys going to have another? And they go like, yeah, we'll have another round. And Mike Davis like, yeah, I'll have another round too. <laughs> and this goes on all night <laughs> to hear AK tell the story. He's like, I don't know if he thought he had to keep up with this drink for drink, but this dude did like – 47,000 calories worth of milkshakes. <laughs> he said he thought he must have thought we were crazy drinking all these vodka drinks, but we thought he was crazy drinking 14 milkshakes oh. in one sitting. <laughs> anyway, he coached against Maryland in the national title game back in 2002, yes. Mike Davis. Oh, it's good, man. No bacon in that story, by the way. But uh, uh, yeah. uh, So, uh, by the way, Maryland also hasn't been back to the Elite Eight since 2002. Mm-hmm. And has only been to the Sweet 16 once um, once since 2003. And okay. that was in 2016. But this team looks good enough to do it. 7-4 and four in quad one wins. 5-0 and oh in quad two opportunities. 7-4 in quad one opportunities. 5-0 and oh in quad two opportunities. So 12-4. and four in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities, zero losses outside of the first quadrant. Only one, uh, only seven teams right now have zero losses outside of the first quadrant. Maryland is one of them. And you referenced it earlier, the top seven teams in your rankings and my rankings, Gonzaga, Baylor, San Diego State, Kansas, Dayton, Maryland, Duke. Let me update you on the number specifically. Those top seven teams are now 163 and 14 on the season. They combined to win 107 consecutive games. So impressive, man. Um, and, yeah, the way they got those wins over the weekend obviously varied there. Uh, what did you make of Michigan State kind of falling apart the way that it did? I mean, that so that question, GP, first off. And then, two, if you're a Sparty fan, I mean, just this is turning into a weird year. And it's 9-6 in the league, 17-9, lost four of the past five. They got the good win against Illinois uh, on the road uh, before this one. And now three of its next four on the road. The first one's against Nebraska Thursday, but still, like, it doesn't matter. Like, road games in league, just Tom Izzo will actually be terrified to go into Pinnacle Bank Arena on Thursday. That much I can promise you. But um, what you make of the loss? And then just assessing Michigan State overall. I mean, I still think that this team can make a Final Four, but its record just keeps depleting by the week here, and it's got essentially no shot to win the Big Ten League title at this point. Yeah, uh, you know what? Like you say, you won't be surprised if they make the final four. I guess I won't either because Tom's the coach and you should never really be surprised when Tom's in the final four, but they don't look like it. I mean, they don't, they they should have had this game though. They should have had this game. It's it's sickening if you're a Michigan state fan, because the game, the game was over, you know, like you had it one up seven, three to play at, in, you know, uh, in your, in your home arena. And then boom, 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 boom. I mean, it was what? Four straight three-pointers on four straight possessions? What? So, you know, you, you look at and then you you go look at the box score, and there it is again. Only two players in double figures. It feels like they're one player short. And maybe that guy was Josh Langford, you maybe. know? Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I think it's probably somebody else. But they, it feels like they're one or two players short. And ultimately, when we look back on this, they're just going to be a team that was one or two players short. They're 17-9 um, and nine overall which means they've already lost two more games this season than they lost all of last season. They're 5-1 and one in Quadrant 1 opportunities, 4-1 and one in Quadrant 2 opportunities, so 9-9 nine and nine in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities. That's very mediocre. And you know like, what? Very. It is. Um, and really, if you step back and look, I was thinking about this uh, a few minutes before we started recording. Look at the league. Look at the teams that have done well. And look at the players that have done well. Uh, Cassius Winston was the preseason national player of the year. And statistically, Luca Garza, Jalen Smith, Lamar Stevens, Io DeSumo, all been better. I think you can make an argument that Daniel Minnesota is not a team tracking to the NCAA tournament, but it's a good team. And Oturo has been a beast. He's been a better player. Um, so I think at best, Cassius Winston has been the fifth best player in the conference. And if you really wanted to pick apart the numbers and you wanted to say he was like seventh or eighth, that could be the case. Understandably, he's gone through a ton this year, so I'm not I'm not laying this on his shoulders. But it is just surprising to me overall that really, when you step back and look at the best players in the conference, 
Winston um, has not even – he just hasn't been close to being a Big Ten player of the year. He That that award is completely out of his grasp, and so I think there is some correlation there. Xavier Tillman's been been quality, don't get me wrong. And, and when those two get really get going, that's why I still say it won't shock me. Like if you tell me that Winston as a senior really gets into the tournament and just goes lights out, I, I would believe you. And Tillman, when he gets going, I, I love watching that dude play. But they're just not right – they're not there yet, and that's why ultimately if you want to you know distill this to its essence, that's why Michigan State is merely 17-9 and in and nine and six in the league. Yeah, I, I had a couple of Michigan State fans bring up to me on Twitter Saturday night because I wrote, um, you know, a, a, about Maryland's win and Michigan State's loss, and they bring up to me, you know, you know, you know what Cassius Winston's going through. Of course, I know what Cassius Winston has gone through. It's an unimaginable, uh, heartbreaking tragedy to lose your brother, your little brother, to suicide. I mean, my God. Uh, uh, so. It goes without saying. We all know what Cassius Winston has had to deal with, and by extension, his teammates and and his coaching staff. It has taken a toll. I'm just not compelled to bring it up every time Michigan State loses a game. But, of course, they've had off-the-court real-life tragedies, and and, uh, sure, I'm going to assume that has affected them on, on, on some level. But... You know, still, you know, take that and and set it over here and just focus on what's happening. What's happening is is not very good, and some of it is. I really do think, like I said, they feel like they're just a player short. Just I, I went. They only had two players in double figures in this game, and they only have two players averaging double figures on the season: uh, Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. Now they've got a third averaging nine point five. So you can draw these lines wherever you draw them, but if you actually draw the line at ten point zero. Uh, I just went through the top 10 to see how unusual it is to only have two players averaging at least 10 points per game. Um, so how many teams have double-figure scores on the season? Gonzaga's got seven. They're <laughs> okay. now up to, are they really up to seven? Seven. So they're, so before, I'm going to guess, so we didn't talk about this beforehand. I can't believe that that's obviously leads the nation. And then my guess is that the number two team on the list is Nova? I didn't get to Nova okay. because I only did the top ten. I, f- I think Nova's got five, and I don't know how many other teams have at least five players from a major conference have five players in double digits. Yeah, I, I did the top ten. I should be clear in my top twenty-five and understood. One. Gotcha. That's yeah, what no I. Worries, that's no what I went and yeah. looked at. But yeah, uh, let me double check on Gonzaga. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, they got seven, averaging at least ten point three points per game wow that's all and then they obviously of course like one hand feeds the other gonzaga as a reminder leads the nation and not only in offensive efficiency where it's it's got a good race going with dayton but gonzaga still holds that lead after what it did in in, in points for game points per game it's more than three points ahead of number two alabama gonzaga's up to 88.6 and that's number one in college basketball go ahead so michigan state again has two players averaging 10.0 points per game um on the season I went through the top 10 of my top 25 and one. Here's how it breaks down. Gonzaga's got seven. Baylor's got three. Kansas has three. San Diego State has four. Dayton has four. Maryland has three. Duke has four. Florida State has three. Penn State has three. Auburn has four. Mm. There's no – and I went a little deeper, and then I was just like, I'm not going to do all 26 teams. I'm like, <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got other things to do. But, like, it, 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 it's hard to be great when you only have two guys averaging 10.0 points per game. That's at least what a very surface level, admittedly surface level study showed me. Yeah, that's uh, that. No, you bring up a good point there, and ultimately that kind of game, you know, it does a, it does really well for Maryland because it's another quad one win. It's a road win, and again, just establish itself atop the league and still vying for a one seed. But really, ultimately, like I think Maryland at worst, I think. It's going to take another loss or two, I think, that, but that they can still get a, a two seed, as far as I'm concerned. And then Michigan State just kind of loses its grip there. And uh, yeah, man, you just got to be pulling out your hair if you're a Sparty fan, because you should have had it. You know, you should have had it. And it, just credit to Cowan, man. Just not afraid to take those shots, and they all—I mean—that was just wild. They didn't even shoot that well. From, uh, I think they're what 32% from the floor, but they from three. And but to get to that point, you know, one out of three, they they needed every single one of those down the stretch to pull off that 14 to nothing run. One last thing on Anthony Cowan, and then we'll move on because you brought him back up. You know, he knocks down those three three pointers in the final three minutes, finishes with 24 points. He's now got 1,790 career points, and he's averaging 16.6 points per game. At that average, he needs 13 more games to eclipse the 2,000 point barrier. 
Um, he's got six more regular season games. He could get three in the Big Ten tournament. And then if he did that and then got to the Elite Eight, that would give him 13 more games. Obviously, if he averages 19 points per game the rest of the way, right. he could get there quicker. Yeah. But he's got a realistic chance to get to 2,000 points. And if he does it, he'll become, I believe, just the sixth or seventh player in Maryland basketball history to ever reach that. So, wow. okay. you know, he is a guy who, you know, comes to Maryland, relatively speaking, unheralded. But not nearly as unheralded as Mark Turgeon made it out. Did you uh, see this now listen to me. As the <laughs> weeks go on, as we get closer to the NCAA tournament, if Maryland makes the Final Four, we're going to come to discover that Anthony Cowan was cut from his varsity team and didn't even receive interest from Division Three schools, okay? This gets better as the season drags along. I want Turgeon and everyone to lean in on the bit and just make it more and more and more because right now the thing that we're hearing is that uh, he was an A-10 player at best and no one really wanted him. I'm loving it. <laughs> so, so it's a funny moment. Like the Maryland basketball a Twitter account tweeted it out, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, that's a good story because it's Turge in the locker room after last night, and Cowan goes nuts at the end uh, of the game. They get a win on the road, and Turd just like, uh, you know, people said I was crazy when I took when I took uh, Ant. It said he was an A-10 player, doesn't belong at Maryland. Well, who's wrong now, or something like <laughs> yeah, that? And they're like, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, well, that's a neat story. I could probably fit that in a column somewhere. And then, because I, I don't remember Anthony Cowan as a prospect, if I'm being honest. And so then, the, but some of the recruiting analysts obviously <laughs> do, and they're like, what is he talking about? And so I went and looked it up. Anthony Cowan was the number 62 prospect in the class of 2016, a four-star guy, and he apparently, shouts to Brian Snow, um, picked Maryland over Georgetown, Miami, Xavier, Florida State, and Illinois. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't doubt that somebody said somewhere this little guard outside of the top 50 might not belong at Maryland. I'm sure somebody said that, but the idea that his, that his options were Maryland or Fordham, just <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not actually right. And I say that with all due respect as the master of ceremonies of the Atlantic 10 media day. Of course, and just to wrap this um... – Cowan has started since day one since he got to campus, by the way. So, like, he's been, like, he's been going, like, he didn't even work up to, to earn the starting spot his senior season. But I, I don't who cares? I, when, we, when we get this going, and we'll even dictate this narrative if need be. Like, yeah, just uh, not, an, not an A-10 player, not an A-Sun player, n not an OVC, not a SWAC player, not a Division II player, not a Division Three. as we move along. Credit to Cowan. He did a great job. Maryland's rolling. Like um, yeah. Like what if what if on because uh, we get into these conversations on Inside College Basketball. What if I'm on TV this week and I say, you know, the thing people don't realize is that when Anthony Cowan, you know, when Mark Turgeon decided to enroll him, there were a lot of people out there that were like, you know, that's a MEAC player, yeah. and um, I don't know why they all Maryland would be, you know, signing him to a letter of intent. Uh, and so it's just really interesting to see him develop into what he's developed into from MEAC prospect, from Southern Conference prospect to, you know, possibly a Big Ten player of the year. It has been quite a journey for that young man. You should do that. And then uh, Brent Stover will respond. And then you should, hey, but Brent, Brent, hold on, hold on. A lot of people also don't realize that Jalen <laughs> Smith, like he was going to play at Elon. <laughs> if Turge has a sense of humor, his next his next locker room when they have the camera in there, <laughs> if he has a sense of humor, he'll look at Jalen Smith and he'll go, I remember I remember when I started recruiting you. People said I was crazy. Said you weren't anything but a um <laughs> what league can we use? Said you were a Missouri Valley Conference player. Well, who's crazy now? And then the whole locker room goes, yeah! yeah. They should just do it every game. Uh, Maryland, the best little big school that you, uh, that you could possibly imagine. All right, what else we want to hit on here, bud? Okay, Baylor played another game, won another game. We're going to spend some time on Scott Drew's Bears next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So Baylor hosted West Virginia on Saturday. That's a top 10 Kimpom team as an opponent. And Baylor's second leading scorer, Maceo Teague, out with a wrist injury. So you might have thought, uh-oh, this could get tricky, but it didn't get tricky at all. Baylor led by double digits of the half, cruised to a 70-59 victory inside Terry Teagle Arena. That's a double-digit win over a top 15 team without your second leading score. No problem. Impressive stuff. And I'm sure, uh, I'm not sure if you've realized this, Norlander, mm. although I'm certain, just as soon as I say it, you'll tell me you had it in the court report last week. Okay. <laughs> but but Baylor has now won 22 straight games, and that is tied for the longest winning streak in for Big a Big 12, 12 team yeah. in history. Can tied you, with 1997 Kansas. Go. And that means if Baylor wins Tuesday against Oklahoma, the Bears will own the record, Big 12 record, with 23 consecutive wins. So I don't want to circle back too much to our conversation on Friday, mm -hmm. but on the subject of great teams, I'm not sure why some are unwilling to call a team that's about to set the Big 12's all-time winning streak record great. They look great to me. They look great. Yeah, Listen, I'm excited to go see uh, them host Kansas. That will be the game day game. And, uh, and what's a, uh, a weird thing, that game is going to tip at, 11 local noon Eastern because, as I understand it, I think the venue, the arena has to be used for for volleyball later in the afternoon. And so they couldn't even turn it. Logistically, they couldn't turn it to play a night game there. So you'll have game day leading into tip-off there. We'll obviously get more into that and, uh, and preview that stuff uh, on Friday when I will be in Waco. But you're absolutely right on that. And even I saw, I saw our, our, um, Rush the Court, Randy McClure, uh, tweeted out a photo on Saturday. He said something to the effect of like, how many people are going to pick Baylor to, to, to lose before the Sweet 16? 80%, 90%. And the point that he was making was, since Baylor is in this spot of dominance and just continuing to roll at the number one spot in the polls and we're not used to seeing it and there's not a star player on the roster, the general public is probably going to pick Baylor to be that kind of team that's going to lose early. Uh, and... My response to that is, is and, and if you listen to this podcast and you pride yourself on having a really good bracket, you should hope that happens because the exact same thing was talked about with Virginia last season, and look how that turned out. I think Baylor can be this season's Virginia, and by that I mean that they are showing and proving to you weeks and weeks before we get to the NCAA tournament how elite they are on defense, how well-rounded they are, and how they never, ever beat themselves, okay? The only teams that beat Virginia a season ago were Duke and Florida State, who, from an athletic standpoint, had the pieces to, to take down Virginia. And other than that, it wasn't happening. We're seeing this with Baylor again. I'm not predicting right now on February 16th that Baylor's going to win the national championship, but I, what I am saying without question is that it needs to be considered – a top three most likely candidate to do so because it continues to roll game after game after game. So, yeah, the way it just dismantled yet another good team, and West Virginia's, you know, it's careening at the moment, but um, super impressive. And I think we're, we're, we are a win away from Baylor on Saturday if it beats Kansas to having an enormous amount of slack for the one seed. Like, if it beats Kansas, given how strong its resume has built to be, and knowing that, you know, Dayton, Duke, Maryland, San Diego State, Gonzaga, they're all in the mix there. Kansas taking the loss, being in a weird spot, but still in contention. I just think Baylor would be able to lose at least two games and maybe three games after that and still have a shot at a one seed. That's, what, uh, that's what's on the line there. Obviously, of course, the Bears have never been a one in program history. That, that's the thing. Um, you know, when people look at rankings, they often think, 
because I've had number one teams lose before and then stay number one. And people are like, but they, but they lost. And I say, yeah, but with that loss, they're still got a better body of work than the team right below them. So why would I drop them below? Just because, you know, they, they built up so much wiggle room, as you put it, uh, so much of a cushion that they can take a loss and still have the best resume in the country. And that's the thing with Baylor. Like, it, to be a one seed, see if you can follow me here, mm-hmm. you've just got to be one of the four best resumes, bodies of work on selection Sunday. So that, that means as long as you're fourth or better, you're good. How much damage does Baylor have to do to drop out of the top four? A ton. A right. ton. This is their real quick GP. This is Baylor's remaining schedule in the regular season. They got Oklahoma on the road Tuesday, Kansas at home. Then the tricky ones are like Kansas state at home. Tricky in that if you lost it, it would be damaging. They play Kansas state at home on February 25th. They go to TCU and I think that still is a quad one game outcome. Maybe we'll see. They're home to Texas Tech, and then they're at West Virginia. So if you lose to West Virginia on the road, lose to Texas Tech at home, lose to Kansas at home, uh, if you piled up three more losses to have four total, then yeah, maybe it'd be a conversation there. But there aren't a lot of opportunities for Baylor to really do a lot of dinging to its resume to this point, so I, d- I don't think we're going to see it. They're 9-0 and in quad one games right now, and they've, they have a relatively low amount of three and fours, nine total at this point. And the road record is, is flawless. They haven't lost a road game yet this season. They're 8-0. So continue on. But that's that's why they're looking so strong right now. Right. And what's interesting, and I, I wonder how unusual this is. I think very. There's obviously no way to research this or know for sure. It feels unusual. It's February 16th. Baylor is ranked number one in the AP poll, number one in the coaches poll. They're 23-1. and one. They've won at Fog Allen. Um, they are projected to um, win the Big 12 title. In a tie with Kansas, but still projected to win the Big 12 title by Ken Palm. And yet, when you hear people on a podcast or on radio or on TV, people who talk about the things we're talking about right now, and the question is asked, so if you had to pick one team to win the national championship, nobody ever says Baylor. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've, to this point, heard somebody say Baylor. How unusual is it that when the question is, so who you think is going to cut nets down in Atlanta, the answer is never well, the team that's twenty three and one and ranked number one in the country. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't happen. But that's just a bias against Baylor's historical standing in the sport. I mean, we're talking about a school that before Scott Drew got there had been ranked for I think two games in program history in the history of the program, almost a century's worth of basketball had played two games as a ranked team, and since then, obviously, like it's it's well north of a hundred. So. Uh, sometimes I think uh, what Scott's done there is portrayed as a rebuilding job. No, it was a building job. There was nothing there. There was nothing. This is uh, from the ground up what he's been able to do. And this is perhaps the culmination, the apex of what he's done there. But, yeah, 23-1 and one and best resume and just uh, keeps doing it time and time again. Now, maybe – and, again, we'll try and save most of this for Friday. But um, if they romp Kansas again – I think at that point, it's going to be almost undeniable. That and San Diego State, if it's still undefeated, like San Diego State's about to really feel like what it means to be an undefeated team late into February, regardless of conference. Like the attention, it's, it's, it's now a game by game by game thing. I think that's when acknowledgement of, of really how good those teams' resumes and how good those teams are overall uh, will come in about a week or so, right on, our, on March's door. That's what I'm expecting, if neither loses before then. Well, the other thing is, you know, like, okay, so Scott inherits this impossible situation with no history whatsoever. And I, I guess any coach anywhere can sort of fluke his way into something where he's got this one special team because it all came together. And what he's now had a number one ranked team in two different seasons, two totally different teams. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's, that's impressive to ever have a number one team is, is, you know, amazing, but to have them at Baylor in two different seasons with totally different rosters. Like, woo, I mean, that that's super, super impressive, uh, I- I- impressive stuff. And, you know, I, I'm sort of at the point now where I think the only fitting way, not the only fitting way, but the, on- the, the, the most fitting way for this season to end is with a totally unusual brand winning the mm-hmm. national championship. Like, I'm at the point, I don't root against anybody. Like, I'll be happy for whatever coach wins it, probably. Right. But I'd... I think it'd be neat to see Baylor, San Diego State, or Dayton actually win the national championship. Because those fan bases, you know, at Duke, you think of national championships. At at Kentucky, you think of national championships. I don't think San Diego State fans, perhaps even today, 
actually like think realistically about a national championship. It's always like, wow, do you think we can get to a final four? Like that's sort of where people put the goal line. And yet like the national championship is realistic for all of those schools. And it would be awesome to see a, 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 a school that operates in, in San Diego state and Dayton's case outside of the traditional power structure. And in Baylor's case, like, you know, uh, Kansas winning a national championship from the Big 12, that makes some sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, mm. Some of those other big brands make some sense. Baylor's not supposed to be doing what it's doing, and if they could actually culminate this with a title, that would be uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, you know me. I mean, I'm all for I, – I, I like when we have uh, diversity across the bracket top line uh, as much as possible here. And even – you know, Gonzaga's a known commodity, but even Gonzaga finally winning the national championship – yeah, yeah, I want that, that one too. Yeah, yeah, that's I just that on the list of things I'd like. That's just yeah, that's just you know, if we get that, that's just a that would be a fantastic story in its own right. But yeah, Baylor, Dayton, San Diego State, give it to me. I'd, I'd very much uh, I, I'd very much like to see that. I'll also say this to to wrap the Baylor thing. Um, when you see Scott Drew doing what he's doing, and I don't have it in front of me, GP, and we don't you know whether it's seventh, eighth, or ninth, uh, it's not ultimately like a big deal. But the point is, the previous two seasons at least, Baylor's recruiting class within the context of the Big Twelve has definitely not been in the top six. I don't even think it's been in the top seven. And you see how he has created a roster, plenty of transfers and all that good stuff, and they keep rolling. And it's what makes the situation within the conference, within the state, uh, south, not that far from Waco with Austin at Texas and Shaka, who took another loss uh, over the weekend. It's why uh, if you're a fan of Texas and you see what your team and coach has been unwilling to achieve and accomplish, and then you see Scott Drew doing it, um, you know, I'm not going to say with you know, with super glue and duct tape because it hasn't been that, and that would be a disservice to those players. But um, if you looked at you know the recruiting rankings of all the players that have been on Texas's roster the past three or four seasons, and you did the same thing with Baylor, Texas would clearly come out on top. But here's Texas, 14 and 11 on a four-game losing streak. It's now four and eight in the league, and it's still got more. Uh, it's still got three more road games before the season's out. And obviously, the Longhorns are not tracking to make the NCAA tournament. And this would be the third time in, in Chaka's five seasons that that wouldn't be the case. Um, so I'm sure we'll wind up talking about Chaka more as we get close to the season. But when Baylor is this good. With that roster, and Texas just isn't, I think it actually exacerbates the issue in Austin with Shaka. Well, you know, that's the other thing about Scott's um, career is that he's totally evolved in in every way. Like, you know, on the court, you know, play zone, now play man-to-man, um, you know, uh, but off the court. That's sort of how he got that unfair reputation um, mm-hmm. uh, earlier in his career because they were recruiting at a high level, like McDonald's All-Americans, and then they were, relative to the you know, recruiting rankings um, expectations, underachieving. And so it was like, it's a little bit like the rap Josh Pastor got at Memphis. Oh, this young guy, can he can get all the players, but then what does he really do with them, right? And now he doesn't get all the players, but he wins like crazy. It's wild to see. It's, it's, it's my favorite career, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Of all the careers, it's your favorite. I think it's my favorite. I think of all the careers, Scott Drew's career is my favorite. Okay. More than your own. Yes, more than my own. Like 100% more than my own. Like, I wake up every day and rank basketball teams. Scott Drew wakes up every day and wins a Big 12 basketball game by double digits. Okay. Of course, of course, of course I'd rather be, have Scott Drew's career than my own. All right. Well, credit to you. I guess I would, too. I just hadn't ever thought about it in those terms. Um, Baylor plays at Oklahoma on Tuesday, so they will play that game before our next podcast on Wednesday morning. Oklahoma lost uh, by 17 over the weekend against Kansas at 16-9, 6-6 in the league. Still has a shot, obviously, of getting into the NCAA tournament. Um, interesting bubble team, actually. And if it can win that game, then that, that'd be a hell of a, a Q1 to put on the resume there, but just uh, keep an eye on that one. That's uh, one of the more interesting ones on Tuesday because Baylor has to go on the road and it's the game before the Kansas game. Baylor's really not had a true letdown game yet this season. Not even the Washington loss. It was in uh, very much in and could have won that game. So that's what's up next before the big KU one on Saturday. That that is, I'm not going to predict them to lose. They never lose. So you'd be crazy to predict them to lose. But I could see, I can imagine it. Like everybody gets caught somewhere mm-hmm. in at Oklahoma. The you know a few days in the same week that you're hosting game day in Kansas that seems like the type of place a team could get caught. It could. I mean, they could. Well, we'll we'll see. Oklahoma is just they're just okay. I don't know. 
I don't know how good they are truly, but if they can get a win like that, that's gonna that'll obviously change some things. And if that happens, I mean, obviously Baylor's gonna remain in the poll uh, going ahead here, but that would give us our first new number one team the next Monday. And I think Baylor's been cruising. I think we're at six weeks now. Maybe no, no, not that long. Maybe five weeks that they've been number one overall in the AP uh, come Monday. So it's we've settled into a routine with that. It's just it's just not. I guess this is my point. It's not easy to go into. Willie Warren Arena Willie. and get a midweek win before you host Kansas. How are you going to do that, man? No, Buddy Heald. Come on now. Not Willie Warren. <laughs> the not. Willie Warren's my favorite player. <laughs> yeah. Willie Warren is not. It's Buddy Heald Arena. We, you and I both know. Buddy Heald, three-point contest winner, by the way. Shout I saw Heald. it. I saw it. That was the first prospect back in 2011 when I went to Vegas. Didn't know who the hell Buddy Heald was. I, I was sitting with, I don't even know what coach, but he had a good game, and I was like, who is that? And uh, they were like, yeah, no, he's uh, he plays in uh, Kansas. He played at Sunrise Christ- Sunrise Christian Academy or whatnot. And uh, they're like, yeah, he's he's actually he's kind of rising up. He's becoming a better player. And who would have thought, man? Like he was a great interview. I remember doing the story, being like, yeah, man, his name's Buddy. Like, why not talk to a kid named Buddy, 17 years old, can ball out, and goes on to become one of the best players in Big 12 history, and now is one of the best shooters in the NBA. Wins the three point contest. So it's just it's kind of cool. And I know you ha- would have a story or two or seven or nine or 15 like this where you meet a player when they're just they're in high school, 16, 17 years old, and even if they're relatively heralded, um, what they ultimately go on to become five, 10, 15 years down the road, it's always uh, fun to look back and know or remember what they were at a certain point in time before their life like completely changed in so many ways and, and mostly for the better. I discovered Mickey Mitchell. You did discover Mickey Mitchell, who might still be in college, by the way. I think he probably is. Are you sure it's Buddy Hill Arena, not Blake Griffin Arena? It's Buddy Hill Arena and Blake Griffin Court. I think that's what we're doing. Well, what about Hollis Price? That's. I think Hollis Price might uh, might have a vomitorium named after him, along okay. with Willie Warren. So. Okay, so Baylor's at uh, Oklahoma on Tuesday, and then host Kansas Hollis on Price. Saturday. I love it, Matt, man. Matt Norlander will be. Inside Terry Deagle Arena for that one. <laughs> before, we, before we get out of here, um, Selection Sunday, as you tweeted earlier, is exactly four weeks from today. So we're approaching bubble talk time. In fact, let's turn this in to bubble talk time. Uh, lots of directions to go here. But, Norlander, uh, tell me this. Um, yeah. Which team interests you most? For whatever reason, just team on the bubble, and you are really interested to see how these next four weeks go. Okay. There are so many choices. But, yeah, with us being four weeks away from having the selection show, which is obviously uh, an incredible thing, and I can't wait for us to get there. In, in fact, um, hold on. I, there's just something i got to play right now because I, I just got to hear this for my, own, for my own energy going forward here. Like, we're four weeks away from hearing this from Greg Gumbel. What? Now, first and second round games in Columbia, South oh, Carolina on Friday me. and Sunday. Now, these games to be played first and second round in San Jose going, on Friday and Sunday. Yes. First and second round matchups in Jacksonville, Florida mm-hmm. on Thursday and Saturday. Give now, first and second round action oh. in Des Moines on Thursday and Saturday mm. will feature these teams. These first and second round games will take place in Columbia, South Carolina on yeah, Friday and Sunday. All right, we move on down the South Region bracket. These yeah, are first do. and second round games to be played. Played in Hartford on Thursday and Saturday. Oh, yeah, that's the good stuff right there, man. True, true or false, you've ever made love while listening to Greg Gumble <laughs> unveil a bracket? It's false. I know you so badly want it to be true. Please let it be true. You Do badly. it tonight. Do it tonight. <laughs> after you get the boys down. You know, people like people set the mood. They turn it. They like uh, they light a candle, and then uh, you know they put on whatever music they want to set the mood. What if you light a candle and then put on? Uh, a YouTube a Greg uh, mixtape re-airing of the 2015 selection <laughs> show starring Greg Gumbel. And then you start biting your wife a little bit. Oh, boy. That's, uh, that's a scene for sure. Greg Gumbel selection show is something that I know brings just a comfort and joy and the goosebumps to, to millions around the nation. So I had to get a little bit of that in there because, hey, four weeks out exactly till we have that bracket. It's going to come in a hurry. Um, we got a lot of interesting teams with interesting resumes. And, yeah, basically I wanted to discuss just a couple of teams that we think that one we're intrigued by and whose futures we have no idea which way it's going. There are a lot of them, obviously a number of them in the Big Ten. Purdue was definitely a team that I considered for this exercise. Arizona was a team I considered for this exercise. But I'm going to land on the team that I picked in the preseason to win the American Athletic Conference. It needed overtime to beat the ECU Pirates. 
Uh, Shouts to Jaden Gardner, and that happened on Sunday. Uh, The Cincinnati Bearcats, um, they are certainly fighting to win the American Athletic Conference. They are helped by Memphis losing yet again. Cincinnati 17-8. It's 10-3 in the league. Um, The league is not going to do Cincinnati a lot of favors. Uh, Jaron Cumberland was a preseason overwhelming player of the year pick. He hasn't been what they thought he would be. At this point, Cincinnati is just two and here's why they're intriguing to me. They're just two and five in quad one games. They have three quad three losses. They're 48th in the net at this point, and as we record this, they're 40th in Ken Palm. They've got three of their final five at home, but they still have to play at Houston uh, on March 1st, and the game before that is home versus Wichita State. So I think Cincinnati is a team that if it gets into the tournament, can can win a game or two. This is the first year under John Brandon, who did a great job at Northern Kentucky. But I was trying to pick a team whose outcome I have no idea where this is going. Like, not even in the final eight to not get in, or easily in and as good as, say, uh, an eight seed or a seven seed. And if Cincinnati were to win out, it certainly is going to be able to do that. So, to me, it's the Bearcats. I don't have a good grasp on them, and I think they've got a fascinating resume at this point with three quad three losses at this point, which is ooh, only three uh, only three quad four games overall. They're undefeated there. And then two and five in quad one. They will be hard-pressed unless they beat Wichita State, win at Houston, and then get to – no, probably win the American GP of getting above 500 in quad one play. So um, they are my pick. What about you? I, I th- Well, first, I think they're going to be fine. The, like, they're, if they're a one-point loss at UConn from being on an eight game winning streak right now. Right. So they still won seven of their past eight. And I know like you, you don't want to get into a fight with East Carolina, but like, you know, it's a win still goes in the win column. And you look at the rest of the schedule, uh, central Florida at home, Wichita state, which is like not playing well anymore, uh, at home. And you go to Houston, let's just chalk that up as a loss. It's a, it's a free swing. Like you, if you get it wonderful, if you don't, whatever, I, I think they win for their next five. And then go in the AAC tournament, do whatever they do there. I think they're fine. I would assume Cincinnati's going to be in the NCAA tournament. <sighs> Numbers are still a little bit weird to me. I lean more yes than no, but again, like they easily could have lost at ECU. Now they didn't, which is good. But had they lost, uh, I don't think you'd be saying what you're saying now. But they did get the win, so that's that's why they were my pick. Plus the Big Ten, and maybe you'll have one. But the Big Ten has just like four or five of these teams where even if they, they maybe get in. Uh, their seed variance still to me is is pretty wild, but I, I dodge that. Purdue stands out to me more than any other team because they're just they might be the hardest team to predict in college basketball at this point. But uh, but yeah, those are my top two. What about you? My favorite bubble team by far is a Big Ten team. It's Indiana. Just because of everything that goes oh with gosh, these next man. four weeks at Indiana and what they did not do or what they did do on Sunday when non-competitive, completely they got their brains beat in. It's just. Bad showing. Anyway, go ahead. Oh yeah, twenty-four point loss at Michigan. So now they're sixteen and nine overall, six and eight in the Big Ten. They're one and five in their past six games. So you go look at the resume now: four and seven in quadrant one, two and two in quadrant two. So six and nine in quadrant one slash quadrant two opportunities. Now they don't have any Q three losses, Q four losses. So that's good. Jerry Palm had them as a nine seed before the twenty-four point loss at Michigan. So I imagine you know that, that as you like to say. Probably a seed line bump. That's a seed line bump. That's a seed line bump. There's just no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. A 24-point loss at Michigan, is going, that's going to be a seed line bump in the wrong direction. And here's the thing that gets tricky for them. They are projected by Kempa to be underdogs in each of their next four games. At Minnesota, against Penn State, at Purdue, at Illinois. By the way, do you ever think you'd see the day when Penn State was favored at Indiana? Because that's coming next Sunday. That will be coming. How about this, by the way? Yeah. No, I... Did I ever? No, I honestly no. I never thought I'd see that day. You didn't think you'd see that day. <laughs> I think I'd see that. Day. No shot. I would trade careers with Scott Drew right now. Uh, yeah. What about Pat Chambers? Yes, hundred percent. Archie Miller. Archie Miller. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. He did if make I would trade careers <laughs> with Archie Miller right now. Okay. I don't know because if if he doesn't get this thing straightened out, he's gonna miss the NCAA tournament for the third straight year. Now I don't think that leads to a coaching challenge. It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's right, not. Right. 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 It's yeah. not. And it shouldn't. Let me be clear. It shouldn't. But I promise you, when Indiana hired Archie Miller, they didn't think they were gonna miss the NCAA tournament three nope. consecutive years. He's twenty three and twenty nine in the Big Ten at this moment since he took over at Indiana. It is not gone well and some of it is i think because of recruiting i went and looked this up um earlier his recruiting classes are 
number 32, number 10, and number 53. He's enrolled exactly two top 50 players at Indiana, Romeo Langford and Trace Jackson Davis. Like, that's 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 not normal, is it? No. it's right. not, No, it's not as successful as they thought it would be. I think that's, that's fair. Right. Yeah. Well, how about this? Remember when the two most um, pursued— Are you, you going to say Shaka and Archie right now? Yeah, the yeah. Mo- two most pursued— yeah. You know, um, co- coaches outside of the traditional power structure were Archie Miller and Shaka Smart, and they're both. You know, it's not going well for either of them at their new jobs. And um, listen, Shaka's a little further down the road. You know, you, you but and and Arch is still like I, I I would not even consider pulling the trigger on Archie Miller. Like I, I want to be crystal clear about that. But Indiana fans screaming internally if they're like at work or screaming at the uh, at their. Stereo system. Do you, do, you think, do you get the sense Indiana fans would like to change coaches? I get the sense that a lot of Indiana fans are approaching the end of their rope quickly. Now, some are sensible, and I'm not saying the ones that actually you know what I am. If you want Archie Miller out now, <laughs> I'm saying you're not sensible. Uh, I think that another year is certainly warranted, but yes, I think when you are an Indiana fan and Archie Miller's hired after the success he had at Dayton and you're staring down a third straight year without an NCAA tournament, they are running out of patience with a quickness, particularly because um, if you look at how Indiana has played against teams of good quality, say top 30-ish level teams, uh, the, the record is sub-500, uh, and, and you have a lot of games like what we saw here on Sunday. Like That was just a terrible effort, terrible by Indiana. I think that's why they're running out of patience. But uh, to be clear... Uh, they're not changing coaches, not this year. Right. And they're not, and they shouldn't. But again, 23 and 29 in the Big Ten at this moment, and at least in danger of missing the NCAA tournament for the third consecutive year. If the tournament started today, Indiana would be in. But if the tournament started in two weeks, I don't know, because like I said, projected as underdogs in each of the next four at Minnesota, against Penn State, at Purdue, at Illinois. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're fascinating. I mean, listen. They're yeah, fa- and the reason I'm interested in them isn't just because it's a bubble, t- like because it it means everything, like like in in Indiana, Indiana basketball does. I mean, it's an intense and passionate fan base, so you don't just miss the uh, NCAA tournament. And people go, okay, well, let's get them next year. Like you miss the NCAA tournament, and people like want they you know they they want they want to replace you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I I I agree. By the way, um, I wanted to. Uh... This, since we're in the Big Ten, just just a note, Quincy Doobie, Quincy Doobie Arena. Okay. I told you that was disrespectful. It was. So you have redeemed yourself there. Rutgers won by 15. Now, I would assume it wasn't on the floor for Illinois, but Rutgers yet again. It's like one, you know, 77 games in a row at home and is one in 54 in its last 55 away from Quincy Doobie Arena. But uh, credit there. And then... Um, there was only one other result from the weekend that I know we're not going to dedicate a segment to, but I just wanted to give credit to this team. And it's another, it's, I, I, you know, my pick was Cincinnati and then Purdue, but then Providence. Providence held on to win by three against Seton Hall, and no one paid attention to it because we had an absolutely epic dunk contest going on, and I get all of that. But Providence is 62nd in the net, it's 14 and 12. It has a quad four loss, three quad three losses, and five quad one wins. Now, let me be clear here. My preseason pick to win the Big East has got to win pretty much all except maybe two more games the rest of the way in order to have a chance. But it does have a bizarre resume at this point. And, you know, it's it's defeated Marquette. It's defeated Butler. It's defeated Creighton. It's defeated Seton Hall. Those are all teams easily tracking to the NCAA tournament. If it can sweep Marquette, if it can win at Villanova, we might have an interesting thing with Providence going forward, but I did want to at least just briefly mention that was they were up 28 to five to start the game, so that was a, a relative stunner on what was a just okay Saturday of college hoops. Yeah, like Seton Hall had a three game lead in the Big East standings. It feels like less than a week ago, and now it's it's down to to one, I, I believe. Yeah, they're 10 and three in the league now. Creighton right behind them at nine and four. Villanova. Um, which handled Temple no problem on Sunday, yeah. uh, sitting there at eight and four in the league. So suddenly, um, what looked like was going to be an outright Big East title still might be, but um, the cushion is is th- 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 that existed is is no longer there. You ready for the Sunday podcast review? Let's get to the uh, let's get to the review, man. Who do we got this week? Okay, um, every every Sunday uh, to encourage you guys to make sure you're subscribing to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. By the way, new logo. 
New logo. That's right. Updated logo. So for everyone that is listening, well, I would think most of you that are listening noticed it because the podcast refreshes on the feed, and then you'll notice that the logo changed. Uh, the actual, <laughs> for the first time, I think the podcast, this particular podcast, it was actually the College Hoops Journal. Shouts to the true OGs, and they are out there. I know you're out there. It was the College Hoops Journal podcast, which was my podcast. We brought it over to CBS, and I think that logo got put into the feed in 2012. So for the first time in almost eight years, the name <laughs> of the podcast is actually in the logo. There we go. How about I tried to get our names on it, and they told me to go F myself. <laughs> no, it's okay. I tried. They did not say that. That's, what I, that's, that's the way I interpreted uh, it. Listen, I would not be opposed to that as well, but we'll go with what we got for now. Uh, but a new logo for March Madness coming around the corner, and uh, we hope you like it. So we encourage you guys to go make sure you subscribe to the Allen College Basketball Podcast. And one way to do that is like, hey, you could get a shout out just like Larnell and uh, Terry Teagle and uh, Devin Downey at the end of the Sunday podcast. If you uh, leave a five star review and then uh, you just write whatever you want. Right. And if I find it interesting, I might read it on air. And so here we are. And this one comes from Davis H. 4014. That's Davis H. 4014. And here's what he wrote. To the collector of toothbrushes and the man that once had a dead deer in his front yard, I have been an avid listener of this podcast for a little over a year now. Ever since then, no matter what has been going on in my life, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday have become my favorite days of the week because that is when I get to hear you guys talk about the greatest sport on the planet. I wish you guys would talk about my alma mater, NC State. Shouts to Richard House. Shouts to, shouts to Cap Barber a little more. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm hoping that one Wednesday and Friday podcast soon, you guys just talk about the bubble and who you like and don't like. If you're a college basketball mm-hmm. fan who enjoys talking about fighting camels, leaky black, what the name of Rutgers basketball arena should be, or even the birthplace of one of the most underrated, overlooked, greatest college basketball players, not only in the history of the SEC, but in the country, <laughs> then this is definitely the podcast for you. Yes. These guys bring the effort and energy every single night. Thank you for being you, Parrish, and you, Norlander. Also, shouts to George Pappas, who scored a season night 32 points on the Hawks on Valentine's Day. Shouts to King Rice. I did have multiple people. By the way, that's a sweet note, awesome note from Davis. That was great. H- 4014. I did have multiple people bring up that George Pappas, who famously dunked inside Allen Fieldhouse, which I do think contributed to the Kansas State game. He did. He 100% did. He had 32 points on uh, Valentine's Day. Shouts to him. Shouts to Pappas. Yeah, in fact, shouts to uh, John Ezekowitz, longtime longtime college troops analyst and and friend of mine. He actually gave us a heads up. Uh, Yeah, it happened on Valentine's Day. George Pappas. Walk on legend, going legend there. So good, good on you. Although Monmouth then proceeded to go get beat by Greg Paulus's Niagara Fighting Purple Eagles on Sunday. They took a they took a little bit of a rough loss there. Greg Paulus is uh, is doing a pretty good job stepping in in an unexpected spot. But um, yeah, Pappas, why not give you some love there? You know what? I'm gonna call right now. Pappas. You're getting one of the four photos on the uh, the Twitter tease when the, when the podcast publishes, the No Context Ion College Basketball Podcast preview. Uh, that was a great review. Highly appreciated. There was something in there that really cracked me up aside from NC Oh, yeah, no, uh, NC State Cat Barber was good. Yeah, w- listen, uh, the nature of the tournament and the like, bubble, like uh, it's actually coincidental that we talked about bubble resumes and then um, there was that review. But as we get closer, yes, uh, there will be teams that have compelling wins and losses, and we will certainly touch on those as well. There's just it just so happens like Parish, uh, the the bubble is the bubble every year. I'm not gonna say the bubble is this week; it's ever been. I refuse to say that. But I will say this: when I look at teams that are like on the five line and teams that are on the ten line right now, it's there's like no difference. So the point I'm making here is let's get a few more games in and then we'll really start looking at some of the uh, the compelling bubble cases because there are a lot of teams that are not locks yet. And by lock, I mean can literally afford to lose every single game, even if that's unlikely, and get in without debate. And there are a lot of teams that still have at least one or two more wins they got to get before they're that point. So the bubble will get smaller as we move along and we'll certainly mix that in as well. So that was a really kind five-star review and we got a lot of them. We also got a one-star review on Friday. Well, what and the hell's that about? Well, the are you title. Gonna, hold on. Are you about to read the one-star review and give the one-star yeah. review as much attention as the five-star review? Yes, because I think it's funny because I don't even understand it. Okay. The 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 uh, title of the review is Norlander's Bias. <laughs> okay. I uh, can't wait to hear this one. 
It says, I have enjoyed this podcast for several years, but starting to lose interest this season. Matt's anti-Duke bias is just oh annoying and has an unnecessary Come mean streak to on, it. Duke. It appears the dead tear oh. was well-deserved. <laughs> like, do people really think you hate Duke? Because that has never crossed my mind even once. This is this is actually absurd because I hear more, and it's just Duke. This is what Duke is. I hear, I get more. First of all, I had a freaking column about how Vernon Carey deserves serious consideration for National Player of the Year like five days ago. I don't want to hear my anti-Duke bias, but on that same note, I hear more about my my pro-Duke bias <laughs> as I do my anti-Duke bias. So that tells me I'm doing something right there. That it is, uh, it is interesting. Yeah, there is, there is a cynical Duke contingent out there that is – convinced that I am uh, I'm hellbent on trying to take down Mike Krzyzewski's legacy. It's actually... Uh, did, do you people realize that the fella or, or woman who left that one-star review, how much time I put in lovingly to the podcast intro last week yeah. with Mike Krzyzewski? I wouldn't do that if I That's hated Duke. That was epic. Yeah. So I don't want to hear that. But they, they are the one school, though, that I hear the most about that. Do you have a, a comparison where it's like equal sides? Because it it never ceases to amaze me. I'm just I'm not afraid to be critical when I need to be critical and not afraid to oh. praise when I need to praise. Duke is, is going to provide that opportunity almost weekly. Well, people outside of Memphis won't believe this. So most of the people listening right now, it's Memphis. Yeah. 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 Outside of Memphis, people think I'm a Memphis homer. <laughs> Memphis fans largely hate me. Or at least they, they are largely critical of me. Nah, that, that's not true. They hate there you. Was, yeah, that's fine. But there's there's a segment of the Memphis fan base that that thinks I'm uh, trying to prove I'm not a Memphis homer. And the truth is the same. Okay. So it, it's, it's fascinating. Um, early, like the second it was reported that James Wiseman had eligibility issues. I said, they need to not play him at all. And when they announced they're going to play him, despite this, I said, this is stupid and it's going to be counterproductive and it's only going to make things worse. And Memphis fans like were, I mean, I mean, just blasting me nonstop. Even Memphis fans, people I consider friends, like people I actually know. How in dare real you, Chris life. Vernon? How dare you? No, it wasn't, it wasn't Vernon. But like people I know, I wouldn't say like my close friends, but like there are people I'm friendly with who were killing me on social media. Like I'd see it. I'd see it on their Facebook pages. Like we're friends on Facebook and it, and their post would be like, F Gary Parish, I'll never listen again. So, um, so they were just killing me. And then, of course, what happened? Uh, it was counterproductive. It made things worse. I was right on every single point I made. Still, Memphis fans didn't want to hear. Now, when Memphis loses, like they did again on Sunday, and immediately, like Kentucky fans want to tweet me about it, and, and, and Tennessee fans want to tweet me about it, and I just say, I'm just like, yo, they lost two of their top three players before February. Like, if you can give me a list of teams that lost two of their top three players, including their best player and like the number maybe number one pick in the draft before February and continue to be good, like send it to me. Otherwise, you're you're just being dumb. Like making Memphis jokes right now is dumb. Like we might find out someday Penny Hardaway isn't cut out to do this job. But judging him in a season when he lost two of his top three players is stupid. It, just as stupid as if you decided to judge John Calipari on the 2013 season when he lost Nerlens Noel and they went four and six the rest of the way and went to the NIT. Like nobody thinks. I hope nobody thinks that that's a reflection of what John Calipari is as a coach any more than like. What happens with Golden State Warriors right now is a reflection of Steve Kerr as a coach. Steve Kerr also is playing without two of his best three players, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. So the Warriors suck now. And when he gets them back, they'll be good again. This stuff isn't that complicated. So now, literally the same Memphis fans who were calling me an idiot um, about the Wiseman thing think I'm the smartest person in the room now. And all I'm doing is just being right in both circumstances i was right about the wiseman situation and i'm right about the dumb memphis criticism right now i'm just right both times but fan bases not everybody but but a good percentage they interpret whether you're good or bad based on what you're saying is positive or negative and i only deal in right or wrong mm -hmm. i just want to be right as often as possible that is honest to god the only thing i care about and yet there are some fans and i swear to god they'll never believe this you i, I would never be able to convince them of, of this, but I swear to God, it's true. I've been in this industry for 20 years. I have a million friends in this industry. Almost none of us are really biased in the ways that you assume we are. That's almost right. none. I'm not saying that person doesn't exist. I'm just saying almost none of us are really care as much about the thing you think we care about if you think we're biased. Like this morning, I tweet out the top 25 and one. I've got <laughs> you're, Kansas, you're rolling, by the way. Go ahead. Keep going. I've got, I've got Kansas ranked fourth. And so, you know, the AP poll has them third. 
and this is an outrage to Kansas fans because I have them behind uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, Baylor, and San Diego State, State, and an undefeated team. (laughs) I have them behind Gonzaga, Baylor, and an undefeated team. And Kansas, like Kansas fans, like I swear to God, I wish I, you could probably find it, just a Twitter search. A guy tweeted me and said, just admit it, you're a Kansas hater. (laughs) What are you talking about? This is your opportunity right now, Parrish, right here. I, I swear to God, hand on heart, it's just like most of us have no bias whatsoever. We don't root against your school. We don't root against your team. I, I, I swear to God, this is true. From my perspective, I, I can't speak for everybody. There is not a single program out there or coach out there that I root against. That I that that if they don't do well, it makes me happy. Not a single one. Now, I, now I know that's not true for everybody. There are some people in our industry who like to see certain people fail. But I just I'm 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 not why I don't root against anyone. I have none of that in me. Yeah, I'm with you, but uh but the big schools they'll they'll bring that out. They'll bring out the crazies, man. I mean I've written profiles on Brandon Ingram, Harry Giles, like Duke player after Duke player does not matter. In fact, uh real quick, it's, it this goes all the way back to and I can't even tell you what I wrote about, but before I got to CBS I did something uh, about Duke when I was writing for the Dagger at Yahoo. This would been like 2010. And Yahoo comments, man, you want to, you want to talk about the morass and the bog. I mean, Yahoo comments back in the day, that was that was warfare right there. And uh, my wife, who was at that point my girlfriend, for reasons she couldn't even expect to know decided to read what I wrote and then wade into the comment section. And it's just like all these people accusing me of pro Duke bias. So now whenever I mentioned to her that like some Duke fan went after me, there was one comment where all it was, was a person saying you must have gone to Duke, but it was lowercase. You must have gone to, and then capital letters, D U U U U U U U U U U U U U K E. So it's, you must have gone to do. <laughs> People are crazy, man. So People that's our inside really joke yeah, every time. It's, so like, yeah. Listen, you, you've never said a word on this. Po- rarely. Have you said a word on this podcast for in, for years that I haven't heard? I mean, I'm not always listening that closely, but still. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe back up that truck just a little bit. But yeah, in sure. fairness, I'm not always listening that closely. But it, I, if somebody would have asked me. First off, I just know you're not wired that way. So it, it, it never pops in my head anyway. But if somebody would have asked me. What is, what's the, hey? So I know Norlander hates Duke. What's the reason? I, I would I would have been like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like I've never. It's not like we yeah. stop recording this podcast and you're like, I'm so glad uh, uh, Duke lost. Uh, you know, uh, to to Stephen F. Austin. It's like this. It's like no, we just don't think in those ways. I mean, that's again the people who think that you can't convince them otherwise. But I'm just I'm just telling you. Um, if you're, if you feel like you've cracked some code that, that, that is, um, that is, uh, uh, exposed Norlander as a Duke hater or as a anything hater, far as I know, it just, it doesn't exist. It's a silly, it's a silly thing. One star review. Boo. (laughs) Boo. No shouts to that guy or woman. I don't know who it was. It's obviously a man. No, no kind hearted woman would ever named himself on his review. I guess you can put any name in there. He put his name Nat Morlander. <laughs> Nat Morlander? Yes. Okay. Good time. Shout Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Fatigo. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Davis H. 4014. That was a good review. And please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. <laughs> and we will talk to you again middle of the week on Wednesday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? Bow. 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 